Amazing Cam with God Time here on The Breakfast Show. You're listening to the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. We are about to get into the Bible study for today. Before we do, we have another question for a quiz. Then we're going to read text messages and talk about what you had to say about the first half of the show. Then I've got a question for you guys, and I've got a list of three questions that I want you all to comment on this morning. So get ready Ooh. to make your wow. comments and send them through for us. Usually people are asking us questions. Yeah, I've got some questions to now, ask. Now we're asking them questions. Yes. All right. Our next clue for the quiz. What in Revelation chapter 7, sorry, in Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000 receive the A, mark of the beast, B, seal of God, C, seal of Israel, or D, the seven last plagues. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will be able to win all three of our amazing prizes this week, which is The Richest Caveman, The Doug Bachelor Story, The French Pilot, and The Man Who Couldn't Be Killed. Amazing, incredible biographical stories about people who did amazing, incredible things. But again, that question was, in Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000 received the A, Mark of the Beast, B, Seal of God, C, Seal of Israel, or D, Seven Last Plagues, 0491-064. Six, six, nine. All right, let's go to text messages, find out what you had to say. First of all, we've got this one coming through from Freco. The world doesn't need more tyres. We have technology to do better to do to do better in transport. Hovercraft, solar powered, is where the money should be going. That sounds solar pretty powered hovercraft. Yeah, well you'd be able to go straight across the lake. You wouldn't have to go round. See, this is the thing. Flying cars exist. Yes. Like, like, and I don't just mean planes. I mean real flying cars. Yes. But the problem is, to, to be able to drive a flying car, like, you need to be really skilled and have a license. And- I reckon I could drive a hovercraft. Yeah. But, like, then that's another, that's another license to get. It can't be that hard. It's just pretty dodgy on cornering. But- yeah, yeah. But it can't be that. I, right. I, I'd like to I have think, a crack at the hovercraft. I think wheels Just... are going to be here to stay for a long time. Yeah, I think you might Personally. be Personally. Right. I think you might be right. Anyway, mm. um, that doesn't do away with the coolness of hovercraft. I want to drive one one day. I've never mm. been on one. All right, the Mars colonization and outer space missions such as searching for fossils on asteroids is amusing to me. Mm. Obviously, I don't think Mars has anything to offer us in the living matters. Neither do I believe they will find fossils anywhere but Earth. Mm. But these missions will provide some amazing images of God's marvelous creation. When coming through there from Brad. And I think this is uh, valuable. This raises an interesting question, particularly when I link Mm. that with another text that I had over here on the same subject. Uh, where it says the Mars desert carbon dioxide into oxygen. Amazing stuff. Unfortunately, man will never make it to Mars to live. We don't have that much time left, but some of us will make it to heaven where the air is really pure and fresh. Mm. Yes, that will be the best solution right there. There won't be any challenges with breathing in heaven. Okay, so here's the question. Do you think that humans will even, like um, this person says, won't make it to Mars to live? Do you think we will make it there to explore? I I believe right now, yes, we have the capacity to do a one-way mission to Mars. It's not really going to be effective for humans. That that's right. Like this is this is the ultimate thing. It's like I think that 
the the technology to develop to have people like living on Mars and staying there and then potentially coming back. That's got a way to go. But right now, like we have the ability to, I reckon, I reckon we probably have the ability to do our own like 1969 Apollo 11 to Mars right now. In terms right. of like our 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 ability, like we yes, you could send a human there that would get off and walk, walk around. around. That would be so cool. But it, the logistics of that, firstly, it's incredibly expensive, and I I think it's that they don't want to do it for any reason other than to you know do something a little bit more. Okay, long-term. what about the theology of it? Mm. What about the theology of sending someone to Mars? Well, because this is something that a lot of people were preaching about back in 1969, and a lot of preachers were saying, man will never go to the moon because God will never allow sin outside of planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, we've already got a robot on Mars, and that it's, was built from material that came from an Earth that is under the curse of sin. So I think, Have we polluted Mars with sin yet, though? But I think, like, in the... Polluted ob- the moon with sin. In the observable, you know worlds and universe that we see particularly in our solar system like again sin sin is a reflection of choice you know mars is a big rock i think this is the point god doesn't really care about rocks yeah when 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 we you know when so many preachers got so excited about oh humans will never go to the moon during the 1960s they were missing the point that god doesn't actually care about rocks god cares about people people about persons, whatever uh-huh. those persons are, mm-hmm. and that no sin will be not ex- not exported to another planet where people of some description, where beings live. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't care about rocks. He's like, you want to go and visit that rock? Go for your life. And that rock in space, whether it was Mars or whether it's the moon or whether it was Earth before creation, because that's what we see. There was uh, an Earth that was formless and void. It was a big rock, and God showed up and made life out of it. Like, they were just suspended in space, floating around, and God did something to it. Now, the earth and everything on it was perfect and perfectly following him and not subject to death before humans made a decision to cut themselves off and cut, push push away God, which has now led to, you know, the curse of sin on the earth and the situation that we live in now. But previous to that, yeah, it was just a big rock floating in earth just like Mars. Mm-hmm. And then God... Went bada bing bada boom and created some That's stuff. That's right. And once God created stuff, then he creates things like the knowledge of the tree of good and evil mm. and creates freedom of choice. Mm. He wasn't worried about that before the creation of this it, earth. Of course it's a big rock. Yes. <laughs> all right. So those are a couple of thoughts right there. Let's uh, see what else you all had to say. Uh, Owen's story, just wow, what more Mm. can I say? God is good, and you've only heard half of the story that we have recorded so far. There is so much more. You will have to wait for the book to get the whole story, but there is certainly a lot in that story. Stay tuned this week. Mm. It's going to be on all week. Okay, going back to Rubber Trees has a competitor. Rubber Trees has a a competitor. God was waiting for them to catch up. Mm. Can you imagine how many things God has created that we still have no idea how to benefit from? Yeah. It's just bizarre, isn't it? Uh When you stop and think about it, you look out the window and you look at all of this natural stuff that is out the window, it's like, what is there here that uh, we have, that we can, you know, that we can benefit from? 
Yeah, looking out the window right now of the studio, I see a tree that doesn't have yeah, leaves on it. Yeah, and you kind of don't know what, what, what benefits are there that are within that that we could be using. Well, you can turn it into firewood. <laughs> we know that. But yeah, in terms of like, oh, but actually we can harvest rubber from this plant in the middle of the desert that we never knew we used to be able to do this before. Like that, That's amazing. So, yeah. Okay, the New English Prime Minister sounds pretty good. No one becomes a Prime Minister who does not belong to the New World Order. The world today in the political scene just works like that. Pretty sad. Mm. Well, we will see. Mm. Uh, Disney, Jesuit Theatre and the Mind of Satan, as it was in the days of Lot. Certainly as it was in the days of Lot when you look at uh, that Disney, what was it called? Uh, Little Demon. Yeah. This is pure evil. I was saying this to you in the break. I, I think particularly because I've come from the outside of Christianity into Christianity and and my opinions on media and media consumption have changed a lot. Like growing up, especially consists, like just surrounded by media because it's for my secular parents. They're like, oh, what's wrong with media? Is yeah. there, we're all watching it. It's like, you know, obviously there's a level of appropriateness that you need to have towards a child versus someone else. But it's like, yeah, you just, just watch whatever. It's just, just TV. Like go watch TV and go and live your life, do whatever you want. Um, and then becoming a Christian and seeing the skepticism that Christian Christians have towards media and, and the different thoughts. And at first I was always like kind of perplexed because I'd hear people say like, oh, you have good moral shows, like Little House on the Prairie. And, and now we have all this immorality on TV. And I'm like, oh, but there's always been immorality on TV. Like, yes, you have more wholesome shows like that, but you have wholesome shows like that today probably Mm -hmm. but i think what i have seen definitely is a trend that within tv uh, where there is so many questions now asked about you know and so much tv revolves around the idea of metaphysics or the nature of reality and the nature of being and the soul and love and hate uh to where yeah it does get confusing you're listening to the breakfast show contact us on 0491-064-669 it's it's just like yeah to me rather than turning to tv to see um a sitcom or a comedy or whatever um which again like media questioning metaphysical things has always existed but i think now in particular when you look at your big series your harry potters and your marvels and all that, it's 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 obsessed with questioning oh what what it's is obsessed the, with evangelism that's right what is the reality that we live in and what's the right way to perceive it uh which as a bible teacher and dealing with people who are exposed to this media and also growing up with it myself it's a constant challenge to be able mm. to get people's minds out of that mode of thinking about the world at least metaphysically in terms of reality in the way that you know these series portray it because it's so compelling it's actively trying to get you to suck into this way of looking at the world even though it is fiction so yeah really interesting Uh, interesting stuff same-sex weddings freedom of speech what a novel idea imagine that to say that you actually believe in uh, what will they come up with next Mm. Um, then we've got this one here there is a conspiracy theory that man never got to the moon and that it was all filmed here on Earth by Hollywood. That's from yeah. John. And it was directed by Stanley Kubrick. And, yeah, it was just to win the Cold yeah. War. No, this was not a conspiracy theory. It's actually happened. And the reason that we know that it actually happened, one of the re- there are many reasons, but one of, the, one of the big reasons that we know that it happened was that when it did happen, it produced so much evidence against evolution. Yeah. And you know that if they had staged this, you know, if Hollywood had staged this thing, it would have been a massive propaganda 
production for evolution, whereas it yeah. ended up being a massive propaganda event against evolution. That's right. And so they, yeah, no, that, they went to the moon. Yeah. I, we, we believe. When you first started saying, of course, this is true, I thought you were referring to that we didn't go to the moon. Nah. <laughs> and I was like, Lyle. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I also don't believe we have time left to make it to Mars, and I would also disagree with Lawson. Okay. I do not think we have the ability to safely send people to Mars. Technology is there, just not the safety standards to satisfy NASA. That... Maybe China will because my they have a lower value in their population. That was my point. That was like we could do a one-way trip to Mars right now. We could chuck someone in a rocket and send them there. But in terms of get them back. getting them back or doing something sustainable on Mars, that's the difficulty. It's a long ways off. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably uh, less of a long ways off than what we realise, but it will be interesting to see. I, I think the... I think the point that was made in the first message that we will not colonise Mars because we don't have enough time left is a very valid point, and yeah. I totally agree with that. Uh-huh. Uh, whether we have enough time to actually get there or not, I question. Yeah, and I, I think, though, because sending people to Mars is a numbers game to me anyway. I'm like, I'm like, look, when we sent <coughs> those people to the moon in 1969... Uh, NASA was receiving 4% of the American GDP. Yes. At the moment, NASA is receiving 0.3%. Yes. If we threw more money at NASA, we'd get people to Mars. No question. 100%. But it's just, is is, is going to Mars that valuable to the government? Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Let's go. Romans 5, verse 6, followed by Galatians 4 and verse 4. But let's read Romans 5 and verse 6 first. Romans 5 and verse 6, as I find it on the page, the Bible says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Okay, so when did Jesus come according to this verse? Just the right time. Just the right time. Go to Galatians 4 and verse 4. Let's read what it says over there. Galatians chapter 4 and and verse 4. Four, where the Bible says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Okay, so when the, the when the right time came. So there's Paul makes a bit of an emphasis here on a couple of different occasions in relationship to time and the timing of the coming of Jesus. Mm. And uh, he says when the right time came. My translation says when the fullness of time came. Mm. In other words, when the time was fulfilled. Yes. Which is actually a little bit more accurate because what... Paul is referencing here is the um, fulfillment pro- of- the, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel chapter nine. That's when right. the time was fulfilled, Jesus came. Huh. Okay, so let's think about this for a, then for a moment. So he was, here's what you've got: you've got a prophecy in Daniel chapter nine, where this uh, Daniel is given this prophecy and told when the Messiah would mm-hmm. come, and it's a long one. It's four hundred and ninety years before the completion of this prophecy. Mm-hmm. Four hundred eighty-three years to the cross. Mm-hmm. That's four, sorry, four hundred eighty-three years to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a long time period. And we're talking about patience this week, and we're looking at God's timing. Mm-hmm. And we often make that statement, you know, God's timing, it knows no haste and no delay. It's one of those glib statements that Christians make. And it's a truism, but it's not found in the Bible. But when we look at it, we ask ourselves the question, why does it take so long? So these are the questions that I want to ask you as listeners this morning. I'd like to get your comments. First of all, why did it take take so long for Jesus to come the first time? Mm. Why did he come at that particular point in history? Mm-hmm. 
Here's the next question. Why has it taken so long for Jesus to come the second time? Mm-hmm. And does that have anything to do with us? Mm-hmm. Like your thoughts on this? Number is 0491-064-669. That's our number. Shoot us a text message. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts on, first of all, why did it take so long for mm-hmm. Jesus to come the first time? And why has it taken him so long to come the second time? Does that have anything to do with us? Mm. Actually, I preached a sermon. Uh, it was actually on Christmas Day. Uh, in 2021, which nice. is awesome, and I got to invite my family. Love to when come you get to preach on Christmas. It's it was amazing, and my sermon was titled "Why Was Jesus Born in 4 BC?" Okay, so, so we have the right person here. I We've got Lawson some, here who can tell us all about the answer to this question. Well, I did some considerable thinking uh, about this topic because I'm glad. it was like it, you know the initial answer actually is like why was Jesus born in 4 BC? Dealing with the idea of the discrepancy that we have with the BC AD system. Oh yes, yes, um, yes, yes. But yes, then yes. F- further, that's a fun piece of history. To <laughs> that's right. They messed up. That's the short story. But then furthermore, looking at the prophecy uh, that Daniel receives in Daniel chapter nine and seeing that you know Jesus came right on time and that prophecy being revealed to Daniel as a result of his repentance um, on behalf of the nation of Israel. Now, the big question that surrounds that was, was Daniel given that prophecy of the 490 years uh, because at the moment he repented, God decided at that time, okay, this is when Jesus is going to come? Or was he just being revealed something that God had already actioned knowing that Daniel was going to repent? So it's a little bit technical, but essentially, like, was that time in which Jesus come, was that always set in stone, or was it a response to Daniel's repentance on behalf of the nation? This is like a, Ooh, this is a big question. Interesting question. So how much do we, how much does what we do here on this earth have to do with, because that really relates to our mm-hmm. second question is, why hasn't Jesus, Jesus come yet, and is, does that have anything mm-hmm. to do with us? I think, though, regardless, regardless, Daniel had the ability to repent <clears throat> on behalf of the nation and thus, and, and, you know, draw close to God, and thus he had the ability to be a part of God's plan by being re- this prophecy being revealed to him that outlined exactly when Jesus would come. And I think furthermore, like, if we just look at some of the factors at, at the time in which Jesus came, you you could have said it was perfect. Because another question that I consider in my sermon is, why didn't Jesus come, say, during the era of David or Solomon, when Israel was at the richest that they had ever been, they had good um, political alliance, it was a time of relative peace. And honestly, like if Jesus had to come and influence the nation in the right way, they could have just steamrolled the rest of the world, the known world at the time, and become a, a dominant kingdom uh, where everyone knew about Jesus. Why didn't Jesus come at that time? Uh, Or, you know, you can go even further back. Why didn't Jesus come in Noah's time when the entire known world was situated within one area? This is, this is, this is a valid point. Or even further back, uh, the big question that Adam and Eve have is why wasn't Cain Jesus? Why wasn't Cain Jesus? That's right. Why wasn't Cain the Messiah? Like throughout history, there you can see times in which Jesus comes. I think from some practical um, standpoints, I think the nation of like God's people, when Jesus did come, were ready to be missionaries to spread the message of Christ in the like Jesus when Jesus came and shared this idea of the kingdom of heaven not being 
just a literal nation, but rather a group of believers who are accepting God into their heart and then spreading his message. I think that at that time, they were the most ready to do that at a point in which the world was more global than it had ever been. Okay, we'd like to hear your thoughts on this subject. So do give us a call or send us a text message, 0491-064-669. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. About to have the last question for our quiz this morning. It's your last chance to get your name in the hat. We've got a focus this week on stories, stories, journeys of faith. We've got three journeys of faith that we are giving away, and we are featuring a journey of faith all week long with Owen Shaw's story. I hope you've been enjoying it. Everybody seems to be enjoying it so far, and uh, it is amazing what God does in a person's life. But right now we've got a question coming up for our quiz. What did James and John suggest be done to certain Samaritans who wouldn't receive Jesus? 0491-064-669. This answer is very surprising. You know, coming from disciples of Christ, but hey, they were still growing. They were they were young dudes. You know, they were learning about <laughs> learning about how it is that God operates. But again, that number is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Our prizes for this week are these amazing biographies: the man who couldn't be killed, the French pilot, and the richest caveman. And again, that question was: What did James and John suggest be done to certain Samaritans who wouldn't receive Jesus? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Okay, so we've been looking at this prophecy right here, the Daniel 9 prophecy. Mm -hmm. And in Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says 70 weeks are cut off for your people to Mm. finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to bring in reconciliation Mm. for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. It's a fascinating prophecy right there. You have in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through uh, 27. And uh, basically what it does, it says, From the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, under Messiah the Prince shall be 69 weeks. Mm. Okay, how do you calculate that? Because this is a symbolic prophecy, you use the day-for-year principle. Mm. This is a principle that you find throughout the Bible. And so you simply find the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which the Persians and the Greeks and pretty much everybody else recorded as taking place in 457 B.C. Then you go forward from there and you're going to go 69 weeks forward. Well, there are seven days in a week. One day symbolizes a year. So you go seven times 69, which gives you 483 years. The Bible says that that will bring you to the Messiah. Well, that brings you to the year 27 AD. Mm. It's a very simple process with the calculator. You can do it at home. It is not hard to figure out. This is a very specific prophecy. This is not vague in any way whatsoever at all. It gives you a specific date for the coming of the Messiah. Mm. The word Messiah means the anointed one. And in 27 AD, right on time, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism and began his ministry as the Messiah here on this earth. That's all just history. Anyone Mm. who knows anything about Mm. history can simply go back and study that for themselves. And it's all written down there. You can research it and confirm it as being true. Mm. Okay, the question is, clearly God knew from a long time ago Mm. that the coming of the Messiah was a long way in the future. Mm. And so God knows that the history of this world is going to be long for human beings. Mm. You know, Adam and Eve were expecting the Messiah to come with Cain. That didn't happen. Daniel's praying, obviously, for the restoration of Jerusalem, but along with that comes the coming of the Messiah. Mm. 
God gives him this prophecy. Then God gives Daniel. Well, God is this is after God has given Daniel another prophecy, where he's like, "Yeah, two thousand three hundred years." Mm. I mean, how would you feel if God came to you tonight and gave you a prophecy in relationship to, let's say, the seven last plagues, mm-hmm. and said, "You know, the seven last plagues are going to come two and a half thousand years into the future." How would you feel? Well. Actually, very similarly to Daniel, I would be upset and sick. and Yes. <laughs> yes. And I would be so absolutely shocked that... Firstly, devastated. It would turn me back to my Bible and lead me to repent <laughs> that it would happen quicker. <laughs> right? Because that's exactly what happened okay. to Daniel. Yes. He was like, oh, wait, actually, Jeremiah, it's happening in 70 years, but I've just been given this information that something is going to happen 2,300 years in the future. What's going on? What is the deal and then he prays and yes. repents for his people yes he's like well the messiah yes. needs to come some point like people and, need and, to say that's, that's, that's where gabriel is like okay you're 2300 let's cut off 490 of those that's long enough yeah let's cut off 490 of those and let's tell you when the messiah is coming mm. okay so god knows the future he knows that jesus was coming in good time the next question is why that particular time why the roman empire why the first century mm. why all of that what are your thoughts on that one uh I think I mentioned this just a little bit before. I think there are some really practical reasons. I think that Jesus came at the earliest time he could have right. for his message to reach the whole world. Okay, yeah, and I can kind of see that. But maybe not. Maybe not. Do you think he should have come later? Could have come earlier. Could have come earlier. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying in terms of like, and I mentioned it before, it's like, oh, well, if he had a came in Noah's time, then the entirety of the known world would have been able to know who Jesus is. Okay, uh, we've got a text message here that points out a very important point where Jesus came according to prophecy, gave to Daniel, he could not have come before as he does nothing without telling his prophets first. The point here being that the prophecy would have nullified his ministry if he had come before this particular point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then just don't say the prophecy. Like, make a prophecy earlier. Like, or Daniel's prophecy could have been, oh, he's coming in 30 years. Or it could have been, I don't know, it could have been David who prophesied Jesus' time of coming, in, like, and he could have came during the kingdom of David. Yeah. So th- there is, like, there's a number of different questions around this. But as you said, the Bible points out, like, we do have this prophecy. Okay, if the people, do you think the people were... Do you think the 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 Jews mm-hmm. were more ready in uh, twenty seven AD than what they were in fifty BC? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, we just go back fifty years, and the reason I ask this question is this: how many how many Jews were ready? Mm. Okay, so when Jesus is born you got the story of the angels. Obviously, the angels have gone out to find people who are worthy to hear about the message, and the only people they can find is some shepherds, some random shepherds. Mm. Uh, along with that, you've got a group of Persians who turn up. So you've got random shepherds and Persians. you got Jesus, you know, three and a half years later, uh, sorry, um, 33 and a half years later, Jesus dies on Calvary, and you've got two people, mm. just two, that figure out what's going on mm. on the day of his death. You've got the Roman centurion and a thief. So you're a Gentile and a thief. So even the disciples really didn't know what was going on until after Jesus died. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem they were particularly ready. Mm-hmm. But we know the way that 
the world responded after you know we the do. resurrection. We absolutely do because Christianity took the world by wildfire, and paganism disappeared. This is why we have this called this this religion called neo-paganism today. Mm-hmm. It would not be called neo-paganism if Christianity hadn't wiped paganism out. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely that issue of cause and effect, which is a very very powerful argument that you're putting forward right there. Okay, so let's think about the second coming and the nearness of the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. Do we have, can we in any way affect when Jesus comes back? Well, I say it like this. I read my Bible, I read the Signs of the Times, Matthew 24, you know, 1 through 14, and you read about all of the, the gnarly things that are going to happen around the world in terms of weather events and diseases and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, and the intense increase of all of these things, which I would say are definitely happening. You know, we've, we've been preaching for, uh, and every day, every day that goes past, we've been preaching it for a while, and every day that goes past, it becomes more and more true. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like, yep, all of these events are happening. But the capstone to all of these events, like the conclusion is, oh, and this message of the gospel will be preached in all the nations as a witness, and then the end will come. So it's simply this. Do we have the ability to be a part of God's work to reach people with the gospel that will enable him to come back? The answer is yes. Yes, we do. The ability and the technology, it's all there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Home art. Let's uh, jump into some answers for our quiz questions. What did Agabus do with the Apostle Paul's girdle? He bound his own hands and feet. With what condition did Moses get temporarily afflicted? He was a leper for a little bit. He was also kind of like annoyed and angry a lot. Not a lot, but sometimes with the people of Israel who were constantly going astray, but he was definitely a leper as well. Uh, David's first wife was, her name was Michal. Uh, in Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 receive the seal of God. And finally, James and John suggested uh, that Jesus should call down fire from heaven and incinerate them. So we're, we're, we're definitely seeing that they had some ways to go in their training. But hey, right now it is time for... Question of the day. Our question of the day today is from Greg. He asks, what is the spiritual gift of discernment? Is it the same as biblical wisdom? Is there an instance this spiritual gift is obvious in the Bible? Okay, and different churches have a different view on this. The dictionary definition for the word discernment, I think it probably gives the best definition. It says the ability to judge well. And it's as simple as that. Some people do not have the ability to judge well, and as a result of that, they make poor decisions. And so there are going to be different roles that are going to be suitable for people that have poor discernment. We need to uh, find out what a person's strengths and weaknesses are, what their gifts are. Some people are, and, and discernment really does play a major role in two areas, discernment of people and discernment of theology. Mm. We need to be able to have good discernment of both, and the gift of discernment is applicable to both. And so when we talk about discernment of people, this is the ability to judge well in relationship to people and, say, for instance, their suitability for a role. So you think about you know, this person over here. It's like, yeah, let's hire that person. Let's make them a full-time Bible worker or pastor or whatever it might be. And often when we do so, 
Uh, bad decisions are made. People become ministers who should never be ministers. They should mm-hmm. have a different kind of ministry. They're in the wrong kind of ministry. And it's like, man, you guys were really lacking in discernment when this happened. This is not a good outcome right here. And so we find somebody who has good discernment, who has the gift of discernment, is somebody who's able to recognize IQ. Okay, so this person is intelligent. That's the intelligent quotient. EQ, in other words, they are emotionally uh, a complete person, as well as SQ, which means that they are socially uh, a good person, and AQ, which is their adversity quotient. Mm. And so if you're somebody who can discern that in another person, then you know this is the gift of discernment, and you're able to make wise choices in, say, for instance, selecting people for different roles within the church or roles within employment within the church, and you're able to recognize, you know, this person's going to do well there, that person's not going to do well there, etc. So that's a really, really valuable and important gift in being able to harness all of the energy within your church. Mm. Discernment of people also... Uh, involves motives. Mm. Some people can just ne- some people can just never see through another person's motives, and they just always assume that people's you know they take a very naive view of life, and everybody's motives are always pure when that is not the case. Mm. But then you have discernment of doctrine. So Lawson, you and I are constantly faced with a new doctrine. Somebody will come to us with a new thought, and some of those thoughts it's like okay, that's a valid thought. Let me think about that for a while. Mm. And then some of those other thoughts, it's like, no, that's ridiculous. And this is the gift of discernment right there. Mm. And this comes about as a number of, you know, first of all, it's a gift, but also comes about as a an understanding of the broad message of Scripture. Mm. When you have a picture of the broad message of Scripture and somebody comes along, it's like your first question is, okay, does that fit into the broad message of Scripture or not? And as a result of a lack of discernment, a person who has a lack of discernment is the kind of person who's going to be swept around and blown backwards and forwards by basically every wind of doctrine that mm. comes and goes. And there are constantly new winds of doctrine that are coming and going, new types of fanaticism that come and go, and it's almost like anything that is novel, as soon as something new and novel comes up, you know, I can list a bunch of people who are going to attach themselves to it even before they have heard about it simply yeah, because I've seen their track record. And so that's where discernment of doctrine becomes critically important. A couple of uh, final text messages we have right here. First one says, we have the tech to go to Mars, but we don't have the morality to spend that money to feed the poor in Africa, etc. Or making dams, hospitals, schools for poorer countries. When we do go to Mars, it will only prove to the poorer countries that we don't give a hoot about them. That's from James. Strong words right there. Hard to argue with. Verse, uh, sorry, uh, Stuart says, it took 2,300 years for the fullness of Satan's plans to be revealed. It has taken till now to prove God is able to save people under the worst technologies. That's a very good point by Stuart. That's an excellent point. I'll make that one's text message of the day. Mm. Uh, and then final one here, maybe God is showing us that he is in control of time. Mm. Uh, then we have another one here. It says, when Jesus came, the world spoke or understood one language, Greek. Very relevant point there as well. We're back to that, of course, now with English. Mm. Okay, some really good text messages, some great thoughts coming through. Love your contribution to the show, guys. Well done. And don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.